Hello, everybody. Welcome to the, I'm going to say the Mark Messier episode, and this is why. I'm getting right to it. I can't hold back. Benny on fucking fire last week. Two for two. Chuck Fletcher, the new GM, calls Tom Wilson's going to get blown the fuck up out of the league by Ryan Reeves. Benny, I know it is extremely early there. Thank you for uh, accommodating my schedule. Good morning. Ben Stradamus, everybody. He's here. Good morning from the West Coast. An early start for your boy at 10 a.m. Got my mug of coffee ready to go. And I know a 10 a.m. start is a smack in the face for Kevin and Redder, but that's my life. Well, I'm happy we were able to do it. We're probably going to have to have another uh, different time start next week, but this one should be later in your favor, probably later than our normal recording time, so that should work. Episode 11, I'd say the biggest news of the week will fire it right up, and Ben's probably favorite subject of all time, so I'm just going to walk away and let him talk, and then I'll cut him off at some point. But the NHL grants Seattle whatever. They're in the league starting... 2021 it was yeah 2021 2022 season which is a year after the lockout potentially oh imagine if they lock out the road and they don't even get like the big jump they thought they were getting that would be awesome welcome to the nhl the owners pay 650 million to get into a league that shuts down the year before they start um how do you feel about it you think it's gonna work not gonna work i saw that they had thirty-three thousand people or companies or whatever it was apply for season tickets. That's a huge number. Yeah, I think the fan base is there. Uh, Seattle's a good sports town. They had, like you said, thirty-three thousand season ticket signups. Uh, they had the arena is only going to hold about eighteen thousand two hundred. So there's a, already a waiting list for season tickets with this new Seattle team. Uh, 32nd team in the league, so it evens out all divisions. The NHL isn't going to realign from what they're currently at outside of putting Seattle in the Pacific Division and then sliding Arizona into the Central Division, which is a little nugget I'm going to touch on shortly. But uh, I think the team's going to be successful. Uh, The fan base is there. They have the built-in rivalry with Vancouver, uh, natural fit. I am just not a fan of having 32 teams in a National Hockey League with four lines, three pairs of defensemen, and the sizes of the roster. Uh, I think the talent level is starting to get diluted if it hasn't already been for a few years now. Yeah, I think whoever they bring in as the GM there is going to have a tough time. I mean, they said it's going to be the same expansion draft rules as Vegas had. I believe that the GMs now are going to be a lot more prepared than the way George McPhee kind of bent them over a little bit. But um, one of the other weird things I saw, too, was bringing a new team, all this commotion, and they're redoing, regenerating, rejuvenating the arena that's already there. Like, you, you figure out, they said it's like 800-something million they're putting in to renovate the building. Like, yeah, build a fucking new one. million. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, they're renovating Key Arena, which used to be the home of the Seattle Supersonics and was never designed to hold a hockey rink or host a hockey team. So after Seattle moved, uh, this ownership group. So they've been. There's been Chris Hansen, I think his name is, has been trying to bring an NBA team back to Seattle. He's Dateline NBC, right? Hi, I'm Chris Hansen. Right over there. 
Uh, he's been trying to bring an NBA team to Seattle for a few years and build a new arena, but the politics and the situation up there has obviously been a big hurdle for him. So I think this NHL group saw the opportunity to renovate Key Arena, make it multi-use, home of a hockey team. Uh, like you said, it's going to cost $800 million, but apparently that's a lot quicker and still cheaper than uh, going through the process of finding ground, the environmental reviews, all that stuff for a new arena in Seattle. Um, and it gets them up and running quicker. But yeah, $800 million for an arena that they're basically stripping down to the the support beams and rebuilding out is a nice chunk of change. We can still touch on Seattle, but since we said redoing an arena, I, I have to hit on it real quick because I, I know I forgot. I, I got the worst memory. Can we discuss that the Nassau Coliseum spent all this fucking money to redo it for only a guaranteed 60 games over the next three years, 20 this year, 20 next year, 20 the year after, and then their new arena is built. They spent a crazy amount of money for 60 fucking games. Yeah, they... Uh, so, as a Long Island, that whole process. So, they, the Hempstead City Council, Town Council, whatever the fuck they call themselves, uh, always voted against or turned down any development projects for NASA Coliseum, the oldest and arguably shittiest arena in professional sports at the time. So the Islanders moved to Brooklyn. After the Islanders moved to Brooklyn, uh, a group led by James Dolan, the owner of the Rangers, basically purchased purchased NASA Coliseum and renovated it. Looks really nice on the outside. It's basically what they did, they're doing with Key Arena. They stripped it down to its support beams, rebuilt it out. Looks nice. The concourse is nice. The arena is better. The locker room is better. All that's better. Uh, it's not called Nassau Coliseum anymore. It's like NYCB Live, which is a joke in and of itself. Um, but yeah, they host the Islanders for a few home games. They just had their first game back in Nassau Coliseum. It only holds 13,000 and change, which is the smallest arena in the league. Yeah, they took away like 2,000 seats when they did the renovation. Yeah, I think they, they're only hosting the Islanders, like you said, for a limited amount of games because the Islanders are hopefully looking like they're building a new arena out in Queens and Belmont. Uh, Belmont but Nassau Coliseum is going to turn into like a, a concert slash, I think the Islanders have talked about moving Bridgeport to the Coliseum for the AHL team. Oh, that would be uh, cool. Yeah, make them closer, just take the train in for some call-ups. But yeah, I mean, the Islanders should have stayed in Austin Coliseum. They had, the team was very willing to rebuild or renovate the Coliseum for years and years. And now, now Long Island, well, Nassau lost them because I will fight to the death that Queens is a part of Long Island. Um, but yeah, so the Islanders are there for a little bit. Coliseum's nice, bro. You should go down there sometime. <laughs> they renovated that crap. It's not, it's not a piece of shit anymore. Uh, I'm flattered that you would take me there in the first date, big spender. But um, getting back to Seattle real quick. One thing that I did like that they did was they brought in Dave Tippett on the hockey operation side of it. And Tippett's one of those guys who, when he was in Phoenix for all those years, he was kind of getting, you'd have like one or two stars and then everybody else was kind of ham and eggers around it. So I think on that end, he would be able to build the team or at least know what it's like to have a team like that. So maybe if he gets back into coaching or the GM part of it, Maybe he'll just be able to guide whoever it is in a little bit better of a direction. 
Yeah, that was a good choice for them. Uh, they're still looking to hire an actual uh, GM for the position. Is, you is it on too the, early for your prediction? Uh, I'll give you a prediction by the end of this segment. How about that? All right, deal. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like you said, the expansion draft is going to be the same rules as the Vegas. So I think, what is it? Uh, four forwards three defensemen and one goalie or some combination of the two. Yeah. It's, it's a combination of that. I'd have to pull the whole thing back up, but it's yeah. a combination of that. It's X amount of players. And then if your players have no movement clauses, you have to protect them as well. Yeah. And that's the thing. So from a Rangers perspective, which I will always give them coming to the league in 2021, 22 and not the season earlier, kind of hurts the Rangers because guys on the entry-level deals are exempt from having to be protected. Mm-hmm. And now that Seattle's coming in a year later, the Rangers will now have to protect protect Heedle, Anderson, Howden. Uh, you have Kreider still as the bandage ad, those guys up front. So you're going to potentially lose one of your recent first-round picks or return for McDonough because the Seattle team's coming in a year later. But I can get into that much, much later on as the whole thing starts forming up. The other thing I wanted to talk about is Arizona moving to the Central Division, which geographically doesn't make sense. I know they had to put Seattle in the Pacific Division, uh, which is why I was kind of thinking that they might redo their divisions into, instead of two A-team divisions, they would do like four, four teams or whatever for each conference. But Arizona losing that arena deal with the University of Arizona, where they're going to move back to downtown Phoenix. That fell through. They've been kind of on edge lately, the ownership group for the Coyotes. Now that they moved to the Central Division, doesn't that perfectly line up for them to move to Houston? Toyota Center, the owner, wants an NHL team for years now. He has a good relationship with Bettman. Arizona doesn't have a long-term plan. Now they're in a Central. It, It makes plenty of sense on that end. But the only thing for me is that why move it to a place where people aren't going to give a shit about it? That, that's like moving it. Give a shit. <laughs> well, it's like that's like moving it back to fucking Atlanta. Like it didn't work twice. Why try again? You're almost better if you want to have the 16 teams in each conference shipping them somewhere else. But at the same time, I think you got to look at the Panthers here. Like we played them this week. Granted, we were god awful, but there's no one in that fucking building. Like like it's a joke. And then on top of their payroll, like they're paying Keith Handel massive amount of dot. Like, I don't know how they haven't folded yet. So I think whether or not the NHL wants another team in Canada or whatever it is, I think Quebec City for them might be where they're going. I know I got away from Arizona and Houston. I'm jumping hard around. On. This is giving me a hockey hard on right now. Keep going. Can I see it? Um, <laughs> but, uh,. No, I just think that there are certain places that hockey will and hockey won't work. I don't think Houston's one of them. Like, look at Dallas. Dallas basically has to have $2 band night to fill the fucking place. Yeah. I mean, when they were winning a cup, they were good. But it's one of those markets like Carolina where as soon as you're not competitive, the fan interest, or at least the casual fan interest, wins significantly. I think the NHL is just looking at it potentially as they have a good relationship with the owner, owner. Uh, the arena is recently new, and Houston is the fourth largest market 
in the United States and it doesn't have a hockey team. So they might be looking at it as an upgrade from Arizona. I agree. I wouldn't want them if I was in charge in our, in uh, Houston. You can put two teams in Toronto and have one in the Central and the West. And then you can have a potential Toronto-Toronto Stanley Cup, which would implode the universe. All right, before we keep going, I know you have aspirations of being the president and everything else, but you don't have to correct it, Benny. You can let that New York out. I know you're in Cali, but you were going to say, do you wanna? Like, just, just let it happen, <laughs> pal. You, you don't have to drop. Uh, excuse me, the owner. No, just let it fly. Like That's what we're here for. I'm trying to use my customer service voice, you know? <laughs> hey, you, you, you give great phone, pal. Uh, do you want to keep on this, or do you want to go to the next thing? Uh, I'll just give two quick thoughts you touched on florida the only reason why florida hasn't left miami is because of their lease they can't get i don't think they can get out of that lease with their arena or if they do it's going to be a significant amount of money uh batman has already warned a new ownership group which is like the third ownership group since the panthers have been in miami that he, they got to start turning it around because they were supposed to be legit contenders this year they started off slow and the fans still aren't showing up if they didn't have that lease agreement. I feel like they would already be in Quebec by now, which would lead to another realignment. But the teams that are kind of like the hit list for me if I was in charge, uh, obviously Arizona, uh, Carolina. I, I know the owner's trying to make it work, and the fans are starting to come back because of how fun that team actually is and the young talent. Uh, the Florida Panthers. And I don't think New York can support three teams. And I know all three, one's in the original six. The other two have won Stanley Cups. Uh, the Islanders are building a new arena, which good luck with that. Having yet another arena to fill for 320 days out of the year when you don't have a home game for hockey. But the Devils have won three Stanley Cups. They've had Hall of Famers on their team, and they can't draw a shit. New Jer- Northern New Jersey is in a hockey market. That would be another team potentially on my hit list as a commissioner. Uh, the last thing is my prediction for GM. You know, a lot of people are going to say, Iserman, if he's going anywhere, he's going to go to Detroit, and uh, which uh, Holland is going to get bumped up to president or something. I'm going to say it's either going to be Mark Hunter. Uh, he's not in an NHL, but he's coached a lot of the young talent that's already in the league. Uh, he has a great name reputation around the league and the higher-ups. I'm going to say him or Ron Francis. I'm going to put a star on episode 11. So when, you know, three <laughs> years down the road, if if we ever have to circle back, I can say Ben Stradamus called it again. Well, so George McPhee was named GM of the Golden Knights two years before they came into the league, I think, or a year and a half. So we may not have to wait three years to see how wrong I am. Oh, yeah, that's true, too, because, I mean, they they got to put their <laughs> plan in place and everything else. So um, another thing that came out this week, Gary Bettman predicting because they need all the revenues to come in so they can see what the numbers are. But he predicts that the salary cap is going to go up from seventy nine point five million to eighty three million. Thoughts on that? Wasn't the whole reason for the first lockout in two thousand and four because teams like the Rangers and Red Wings were spending eighty million dollars on players, and now the salary cap's at eighty million dollars. So. Good luck, uh, good work on that lockout, costing a lot of fans and revenue and TV deals because you're right back to where you started. Uh, I mean, it's good news for teams like the Rangers, obviously, even though they're rebuilding. Toronto makes out like a big winner with this, with their salary cap crunch. But with the higher salary cap comes the salary floor, 
and teams had to artificially, like Arizona, had to artificially hit that floor by taking on dead money because they can't afford to hit that floor. So the high, the more revenue the league makes, in a way, it's reverting back to like the '90s when there's have-beens and have-nots, and you're going to have teams like Arizona, Ottawa. Uh, Buffalo, who can't afford to even hit the floor as more revenue comes in. So the league will be doing better, but some teams won't be able to keep up, and then you're facing the same situation that led to the first lockout. I'm I'm with you 100%, but I'm just going one way with this. And the NHL needs to stop just stop sucking Toronto's dick because (laughs) this is all it comes down to. They know Toronto is strapped right now. They're going to have to sign guys to huge money in – even if they hit to the cap as to what it is now, that seventy nine five, three and a half million dollars in the NHL, that gets you a pretty good player. Yeah. So, so they're still gonna be fine, and it pisses me off. And I know it comes down to revenue and everything else, but Toronto has a chance here. The NHL hasn't had anything in Canada lately, and the one thing that they do is Winnipeg, which kills them due to ratings because no one really gives a shit. So this is their chance. They're rolling with it. I'm calling bullshit. Fuck them. I hate Toronto. Next subject. Well, and then just looking at it, I know it's for next year, but you'd be surprised at the teams that don't have as much cap space as you would think. Like Detroit's over uh, right now, and they're completely rebuilding, and they're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, but, yeah, Toronto makes out the best. That $3.5 million basically covers half of Nylander's salary. So if you lose a guy like Connor Brown, in the offseason, boom, Nylander is paid for without having to move anybody else, and he can still re-sign Gardner. So that helps him out tremendously. All right, well, since, since we're already talking about Toronto, got to do it. Zach Hyman's a piece of shit. The, the whole league knows Charlie McAvoy just came back from a concussion. Mm-hmm. Last night, those fairies are out there playing their normal game. My Bruins have been on the downswing. I get it. They came out last night, and they were playing. Dudes were hammering bodies, like, Loved watching it. Uh, we were able to clog them in the neutral zone. They weren't able to get north and south as quick as they like. The, the boys played great last night. Through it, end of the game, they're getting a little upset. Zach, he comes in. Charlie just came back from a concussion. The whole league knows this. And he decides at the end of the game he wants to finally indulge, w- wants to play a little bit. And he comes about a second and a half late through the blind side of McAvoy. Doesn't hit his head, but he comes through the blind side, takes him out completely. Like, in the video, it looks like Charlie kind of, like, rests up. Like, he made his pass. You know, you expect to get hit. Then you think your time's done. So you kind of let up and you start skating. And he comes from the complete blind side and rips him apart. Like, good news is, after the game, when the stars of the game came out, Charlie came down the tunnel, was able to hand out a stick to one of the kids, Hopefully it was just precautionary 10 minutes in the dark room. But regardless, he's a piece of shit. So is Mike Babcock. I hate the organization. Austin Matthews, get out of there now. Come play here. Mitch Marner, do the same. One other thing, too, I'll say. A game like last night, I realized why John Tavares was that number one, what everyone was looking for. He comes in during one of the power plays. He's in front of the net. Gets a... in the dirty area, you know, like he wants to score goals. He's there. Gets a little cross check from Brandon Carlo. Play ends, gets another shot. Doesn't even acknowledge him. 
Doesn't churn, doesn't chirp him, nothing. A couple of minutes later, one of the same things. He's on the doorstep knocking for one, knocking one. Someone gives him a cross check in the back, knocks him over. Gets up yet again. No conversation. He knows he's there. He wants to score, wants to win. John Tavares, man, what a player. Yeah, Tavares is one of the, and this is even saying something for hockey players who are usually pretty low-key. One of the most low-maintenance, legitimate superstars of the like last 10 or 15 years. He takes a beating because he's a superstar, so he's always going to have a target on his back. Like you said, he has no problem going to the front of the net where uh, you know, you find out what you're made of in the National Hockey League, going to the front of the net, and he does it. Uh, he does have his limit. I've seen him drop the gloves. I've seen him get involved in the scrums, but he, you never hear anybody say a bad word about him in terms of how he competes on the ice or if he's a dirty player or he takes liberties, nothing like that which is the opposite of what you can say of a guy like Zach Hyman, who, like you said, everybody knows when a guy has suffered a concussion around a league. And I don't know if this is just like us old men talking about how much better our childhood was growing up, but it was rough in the NHL back in the day. But you never had guys, it was like a brotherhood. You never had guys targeting heads on purpose or a guy's back recently from a major injury and you're just no regard for his well-being uh i think that's changed a lot over the years and it's i don't know if it has anything to do with the lack of enforcers anymore but i just think it's the way the guys are developed now where there's not really that much of a brotherhood which you think would change because of free agency where guys play with each other a lot more but i think the game's kind of missing that uh, in recent years yeah, it's definitely gone a different direction, and like you said, too, it seems like anytime someone's getting called in for a league heron or something like that, they're always proclaiming, I didn't hit him in the head, it wasn't this, it wasn't that, and I think the league's done a, a fairly decent job at being the same across the board when it comes to these headshots, and I think they're able to tell with the player when they have a conversation as to what their intent was because i mean you you can see on videos you come across the middle and you're like i'm coming through the middle here this guy makes this move now he's leaning forward where a yeah. quarter of a second before i'm blasting him in the chest now he leans forward and i'm hitting him somewhere completely different so i think the league's done a good job at that george paros i mean probably because they were players it's not like they have some joe schmo who has a fucking degree in uh, health management saying well, you kind of hit him in the head, John. That's what happened. So, and Paros has suffered his own head injury, so I think he's also sensitive to the victim's point of view when it comes to those hearings. Yeah, which is good, because I think you need someone there that can do that in the sense of, like, well, I mean, George Paros is a scary dude anyway. So yeah. Like, imagine they're telling George, like, no, well, you know what, George, fuck you, I don't think so. He'd be like, all right, oh, well, okay. um, <laughs> like, let's drop the gloves then and talk about it. Isn't he an you know, Ivy League guy, too? Yeah, Princeton boy. Yeah, so you can't really beat him with brawn or brains. No, th that that's a two for one. Uh, speaking of pieces of shit, doesn't fall. Uh, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree with this. Tyler Bertuzzi on a uh, young forward for Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Red Wings are playing the Avs this week. Uh, historic rivalry from the late nineties. Uh, so Matt Calvert forward for the Avalanche is hit. Uh, kind of falls into the Red Wings bench, and there's a scrum going on, and Tyler Bertuzzi basically 
while he's sitting on the Red Wings bench, takes his gloves off, grabs Calvert, pulls him further into the Detroit bench, and just starts blasting him in the face, even though Calvert's defenseless because he's already being held by guys in the scrum that's taking place on the ice. Uh, Bertuzzi was suspended. Curious your thoughts on if that's just old-time hockey, the crosses a line, and what you thought of the suspension. Well, the way it started, I don't know if it was Bertuzzi who had grabbed Calvert's stick or not, or if it was one of the other guys there, but I just don't know what you think is going to happen when you grab somebody on the ice's stick as they're in front of the bench, <laughs> and then they try to pull it back, and you're pulling it back like, yeah, I'm going to spare you with my stick that you're holding. That's yeah. how this works for me to get my stick back. As for the Bertuzzi thing, I mean, he kind of plays like a rat. That was the whole... He was the whole guy that almost brawl happened in Boston last week against the Red Wings when... Can I ask about that? Yeah, he went... Um, I don't know if he hit Marshan. Marshan hit him. They had a conversation. He didn't want to go. He skates by, and now Colby Cave jumps in his face, telling him, let's go, let's go, let's go. Didn't want to go with him either. And then, yeah, that was when... Jimmy Howard came by, and Marshan gives him a little whack, and now Tyler Bertuzzi wants to fight him. Well, I mean, Marshan has no leg to stand out when it comes to hitting somebody and then not being willing to face the music and drop the gloves. So I have no sympathy for that. And then for him to slash Howard as he was going by, typical, like, I see that. I'm like, okay, so he got Bertuzzi to take the penalty. He wants to drop the gloves like it's fine. But as soon as he slashes Howard, I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, there was that's like when Avery accidentally skated by and hit Tim Thomas at the back of the helmet with his stick and Thomas lost his shit. Like, there's no reason for that at all. <laughs> He's not doing anything. I mean, still to this day, I think Sean Avery still believes he was innocent. <laughs> I, I, I could probably proclaim that. But, um, no, it just seems like one of those things, like, I understand Bertuzzi wants to play like a rat and get under people's skin. But at the same time, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you're completely grabbing a guy by the back of his jersey and throwing uppercuts at him. Like, what do you think's going to happen here? Like, the league reviews everything now. It's not like back in the old day or even preseason where there's only one camera. Like, there's cameras everywhere. And I know he's, I think he's the nephew of Todd. Yeah, I think he's the nephew. He's not his son. No, not the son. I think he's the nephew. But yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, Look at the fucking uncle, the shit he's done over the years. So Believe it to a Bertuzzi to a sucker punch and avalanche player, right? I know, weird. Who would have thought? So, uh... <laughs> um, The other thing with Bertuzzi is, like, I like the way he plays. Like, he gets under a guy's skin. This is the first time I've ever seen him shy away from actually backing it up and dropping a glove. So I'm curious why, out of all guys, he wasn't willing to fight Marshan, who is... A similar and a similar like uh, weight class with him in terms of uh, fighting in the league. So that was very unlike him. I know he's like uh, this is his second year in the league, so maybe that's who he is. I just haven't seen it enough, but it was really surprising for me to see Bertuzzi back away from that. Yeah, especially him. Like he got the reaction that he wanted. Yeah, like, and the other thing too is if Bertuzzi's taking Marshand off the ice, Detroit won. Yep. So I, I just don't get, like you said, you, you got to back into the corner that you want, and then you don't do it. The only thing is, and this is like a mini tangent, how come, it's in the rule book still, but how come NHL referees don't call the fucking instigator anymore? I've seen, even with the Rangers, just this year, just this year 
You've seen plenty of guys. Ranger makes a clean hit. Guy jumps him. Or a guy follows him around the ice. Basically hooking him, challenging him to a fight. Jumps him. Drops the gloves first. Third man in. Never an instigator. If it's not going to get called, take it out of the fucking rule book. Well, A, we don't call ourselves 2, 5, and 10 for no fucking reason. Like, call it so we can actually say it happened during the week. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, need that, man. That's yeah, our, that, that's, that, that's our own, yeah, it's our own plug. Like, hey, they just call it 2, 5, and 10. Listen to us. But um, since you're talking about it, i got to bring it up because last night the refs lost all control with Boston and Toronto. So after Hyman hits McAvoy. You got to pop Hyman, right? Oh, yeah. So Grizzlick comes across it. Mike, Matt Grizzlick, not the biggest by any means, um, comes across the ice to fight him. They have a fight. Obviously, Hyman wins. He's bigger than Grizzlick and everything else. Good for Matt for answering the bell. Yep. The penalties come out. Grizzlick, so... Hyman got a five-minute major for interference, five for fighting, ten-minute game misconduct. Grizzlick did not get a two, five, and ten. He gets a five-minute major for cross-checking, five for fighting, and a ten-minute misconduct. Fast forward a minute and a half. Uh, Chris Wagner absolutely blows up Morgan Riley clean at the blue line. Here comes Ron Hainsey sprinting across the ice, gloves down, to challenge him. Wagner's waiting for him, pops up, throws his gloves off, ready to go. Yet again, no instigator. But the best part is they gave Wagner two minutes for charging, and Hainsey got nothing. Yeah. I'm like, how the, f- like, how? Like, First I just don't all, know how they don't call it. I don't. I may just be having a terrible memory for a West Coast morning, but I am having trouble remembering any other time somebody was given a five-minute major for interference or a five-minute major for cross-checking. Oh, and the fact that they called it cross-checking was bullshit. Like, he just gave them one in the ribs and then fucking they went. It's not like he came up with a cross-check in the face. Oh, yeah, it was just like... I think... It was late in the game, too, so they were trying to now control it in the sense of we're just going to take people off for the rest of the game so it doesn't get too out of hand. But at the same time, next time the Bruins play Toronto, it's that's in Toronto. Oh, yeah, I mean, you already know there's going to be fucking the league's going to sit down with everybody before. You can't do this. You can't do that. Everything. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think just going forward, you know there's a previous history, and now – you react. So I don't know if it's shame on the refs on the ice or if it's going to be a shame on the refs that are refing that next game. And I think that's that's the the worst part. Yeah, that's the problem. You have one rivalry game that's officiated poorly. It doesn't just impact that game. The very next game is going to be called the complete 180, which means guys like Marsh and the Bruins are potentially going to be getting calls on ticky-tack stuff because they... He has that reputation, and they're trying to avoid a similar situation from occurring, which puts the Bruins at a disadvantage, potentially. So just call by the book or don't call by the book. Just got to be consistent if you're the refs around the league. And to have that's a perfect example of heavy-handedness on one scrum and one fight, and a minute later, then you're like letting guys off the hook for certain things. Like it's, The inconsistency is what bothers the players. 
and, and as it should. Um, you want to talk about your Rangers this week, and then I can give you a. I don't. I don't want to say I had a Ben Stradamus this week, but like my mind started wandering, and I was all over. The, I'm calling people on the phone, so I'll get to that after. I'll, I'll see if you want to talk about your boys in blue, the Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers. Um, so. Weirdly enough, there's a quirk in the schedule where they had five days off between games. So you had off uh, from Sunday to yesterday. They played the Panthers in Florida. Uh, it was the first game of five days. Uh, Quinn had them practicing 90-minute practices uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday before flying down to Miami. Uh, the only interesting thing I have to comment on is, so the Rangers this past summer, they weren't able to sign Kevin Hayes to a long-term deal. He signed a one-year, $5 million deal for this season, which everybody said put him on a trading block for the deadline because if the Rangers aren't going to be able to keep him when he hits free agency, he's a 26-year-old top six center uh, who can play a shutdown role too. They can get a pretty decent return for him at the deadline. Uh, the Rangers, on the other hand, have three of their top prospects are natural centers, Heedle, Anderson, and Howden. Heedle and Anderson have been forced to play the wings because he has Zibanejad and Hayes in the top six, and they want to get them minutes. Well, after the five days off last night, well, look who's back in the middle on the second line, Philip Heedle, because Kevin Hayes is now playing first-line wing with Chris Kreider and Nika Zibanejad. Uh, Hayes is a natural winger, but they've kept him at center for years ever since they signed him. Uh, so him shifting to the wing, if it's a long-term deal, could open up the door for the Rangers to want to be able to commit that six years, six to seven million dollars a year for a 26-year-old first-line two-way forward because now they don't have to log jam at center anymore if he takes it away. So I think that was the most interesting thing coming out of the Rangers this week. Well, say the biggest thing is, yeah, if you want to give a guy a future and try to re-sign him, you put him along Kreider and Zabanajad, he's going to put points up, like. Yeah, definitely and he's get a defensive guy on that line now, too, because they were having Jesper Faust on the first line, and I love his energy. He's a great defensive guy, but he really couldn't hit the broad side of a barn uh, with the puck, so having somebody like Hayes with those hands helps. But I don't know if it opens the door for the Rangers to keep him long-term because now they can move their young guys back to center and still have Hayes, or if they're just doing that to market him as he's not just a center, guys. He can also play on your top-line wing, so now you open up more teams that might be interested in them at the trade deadline. Very true. So, yeah, I mean, you'll definitely get something for him in return, too, which is good, I mean, especially for you guys being in a rebuild. And Kevin Shankirk still sucks. In case everyone was wondering. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I would go in-depth this week. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of all sorts of shit. Oh, also, I know I gave you your uh, two for two this week, but um, we recovered that 2015 draft last week, and I believe it was Wednesday. Felger and Maz all day covering the 2015 draft about where the Bruins dropped the ball. Well, if you listen on Sunday night or Monday when we released it, you'd fucking know that. But yeah, um, us, we're uh, industry leaders. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you know it. <laughs> So I'm having this moment. I'm going through all sorts of shit. We had an awful game in Florida. We got blown out. It was 5 nothing. Uh, then Thursday we play in Tampa. And we played a decent 40 minutes the first two periods. And then the third period it was just like seeing Tampa at full strength. It was like they had an extra guy on the ice the whole time. Yeah. It was like how do they have an extra guy out there? They but, won like seven in a row now I think. 
Yeah, and Calgary's on a tear too, five in a row, first in the Western Conference now. Beat my Predators, which hurts a little bit. But uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking about all these things, and I start calling people because I mean, with my job, Ben, you know, it's extremely difficult being me um, with all the time I have on my hands. So. <laughs> With that, I start calling people, and one thing we can all agree upon is the Bruins this year, if you're going through a couple of things as to what's their biggest downflaw, it has to be there's no secondhand scoring at all. It's the top line through and through. So now I'm like, all right, go deeper. I'm like, do you blame this on how long it's taken the kids to develop? And people are like, yeah, that definitely has something to do with it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, now go deeper. Do you blame Don Sweeney about this? And they're like, well, yeah, I think you kind of have to because of these are his draft picks. This is the way he wanted to push the team, saying we have these older veteran guys, but now we have to bring in younger talent, so we have to draft well and develop well. And then I went to a whole nother thing, and I know it's a couple years back due to it, but to me one thing was I think Cassidy has to wear it a little bit. Because I understand the injury bug. I get it. Every team goes through it. But if Julian was the coach right now and these guys weren't producing, it would be like, see, it's fucking closed system. He sucks. Blah, blah, blah. This, that, the other thing. He's not letting them play. Well, Cassidy's really offensive-minded, and these guys still aren't really producing. So my question for you is, what's kind of your take on it? I mean, obviously, Sweeney wears it a lot more than Cassidy. And I love Butchie. I think Bruce is a great coach. I don't want anyone to think I'm, I'm butch shaming here because I'm not. <laughs> but um, I, I think he has to wear a little bit of it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like you're kind of getting at it's the combination of the two. So the Bruins, for the most part, have been pretty successful in graduating depth guys, either on defense or up front uh, through their system. Even, especially with the success they've had. So they've had later round picks, so they haven't been really able to access uh, top young talent. So the fact that they have guys like uh, Tabrus coming through, I know he was a first-round pick, but he was a mid-first-round pick, and you have your other depth guys like Carlo and stuff coming through. That helps for the, on the player development side, but for the coaching side, Outside of your core guys that have been there and was there before Sweeney took over and before Cassidy took over, as an outsider, I just haven't seen much in terms of taking the next step with the new guys that have been added to the team, or like you said, the secondary guys. It's, they reach the show based on what they have. They help out because they, you have to be talented to make the league and stick around, but I don't see any of those guys surprising anybody by taking a jump and going, wow, everybody thought he would only be a fourth liner, and now he's potting 15 goals a year on a second and third line. I don't really see that as an outsider. And as an outsider, what you said at the beginning there was, uh, I think it kind of hit it on the head pretty good, too. None of these guys are coming up and being developed into certain things. And do you think that takes a toll at the Providence level? Because, I mean, when Bruce was developing guys, guys were coming up and playing. Like, they were able to fill in roles. Yeah. Now with him being the head coach here and Leachy being the coach in, in Providence, I mean, is it on him? Is it on player development? Like, I, I think there's kind of a whole bunch of ways you can put it. 
I was just trying to get like somebody else's perspective more than anything. Yeah, I mean, Leach is our boy from our Worcester days. Uh, he's a rookie coach, and the AHL is a whole different animal. You're there to develop, not necessarily to win the league title every year, which is just an added bonus. Um, so I think the Bruins were probably expecting a little bit of a drop-off in terms of uh, what happens when they had to call a guy up from Providence this year as Leach gets his feet wet and more used to developing as a head coach for the first time. Uh, but th- what the Rangers do have done is, like Cassidy, you touched on how he was able to develop guys and they're called up and they will fill roles. And now that he's in Boston, that's not necessarily the case. The Rangers have Jury, who's the assistant GM, but he's also the GM of the Wolfpack. The coach of the Wolfpack is runs the exact same system uh, that Quinny does in New York. So when a guy gets called up, it's not new to him. He can just hit the ice. Um, so I don't know if Leach is just still trying to get wet, but if this is still a problem next year, then I think there might be a coaching problem slash player development problem when it comes to the young guys. Not necess- I don't think it's necessarily a Cassidy problem. Yeah, no, and I mean, I get with all the injuries that we've had, there are guys that are being called up that probably shouldn't be. Just, we need bodies, and I understand that too. But it's just, I don't know, a little mind-boggling, a little like, don't you pay him to, to wait? Like, ah. So, <laughs> so no, that, that was just it on my end. I was just like thinking about it, and like you said, you know, Leachy's finally a first-time head coach, so it could be getting his feet wet a little bit, and... Like you said, too, the biggest thing about the AHL is not winning your division because when half of your team is playing in the NHL, yeah. you just deal with what you got and you go from there. His, uh, his wife is Catherine Tappan, right? Who um, I, I, believe? Belie- I believe divorced. Oh, really? So Tappan's out on the market if you're interested, Benny. Uh, no, shit. That was uh, our boy Mike Ansaldi's girl. I know Mike's all wiped up now, but he missed his chance to make a movie years ago, I guess. <laughs> you know, just two different places. You know, she was married, Mike wasn't yet. Now it's it switched around. That's all. But, um, yeah, the other thing uh, I want to touch on before we make our picks and everything was uh, a few episodes ago we were talking about the struggles of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, at that time, they were ranked, I think, dead last in – the Metropolitan Division, potentially the Eastern Conference. I don't think either of us expected them to stay there for long, and they haven't. Uh, they're now only a point out of third in the division. In the last 10 games, they've gotten points in eight of them, winning a five. So they have really started turning it around. They wanted a few teams with a, a positive goal differential on the outside looking in. So I think they're heading in the right direction. Uh, Tampa Bay... They've won seven in a row or six in a row now, so they're going well. You hit Calgary already. Uh, the other team is the Minnesota Wild, who started off hot, basically brought back the same team that they've had the last few years, just with a different GM, Paul Fenton. Uh, they started off well. Everybody was like, oh, maybe this is the year that it finally clicks. Like Everybody's been waiting for the Blues to click uh, for all those years. And they've fallen off a cliff. They, they're 3-7 and seven in the last 10. They lost two in a row. Uh, they dropped out of even the wild card uh, positioning. So I don't know what's going to happen in Minnesota, where they're going to make a trade to shake things up. Uh, but they can't really do anything with the coaching staff. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I think if they continue falling off, they have a lot of talent that could be moved at the deadline this year. 
Yeah, that's definitely one thing with Minnesota for sure. They're definitely really young and they have a lot of talent. So depending on which direction you want to go with them, you can definitely, like if you're unloading at the deadline, you could definitely get a haul in return. Which, like I said, I don't know which way they would go. Currently just outside of the playoff picture by a point. Um, Pittsburgh, I'm with you, man. I mean, we knew it wasn't going to be forever. They were going to be down there with that lineup, with those guys. I mean, Hornquist now starting to produce. It's finally starting to click for them. Scary, like you said, one point out of the playoff spot, so they could easily just start jumping right up that division. So Yeah, Columbus and Washington are going to kick themselves for not building up more of a cushion against Pittsburgh for the division lead. Yeah, I mean, because Pittsburgh's at 30 points, the Isles at 31, Columbus at 34, Washington at 37. So uh, a couple of wins, you're in a different spot in that division. So, And Rangers still... Yeah you, guys are, yeah, you guys are on the cusp still, so Quinny's doing pretty good, huh? Handsome yeah, prick. Doing, doing good enough to not get us a lottery pick, but not good enough to contend for a cup. Love it. <laughs> I, I mean, do you, do you think uh, on your Rangers team you guys could go, like, top three for uh, handsomest coach, handsomest goalie, and then you just pick a forward and go from there? I mean, you got the long the long locks of Mika Sabanajad there. Uh, that could probably go for the forward. I would say if he still had Hags, that he would fit into that group. Another Swede. Oh, the hair. My God, the all-hair yeah. team. The think, blonde rocket. <laughs> you, you, you think you would have grown up in Minnesota with that flow. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so we'll transition. Unless you got anything else in the bees, uh, we'll transition to our weekly segments of Game of the Week, Lock of the Week, and Today in NHL History. Uh, Kevin was gracious enough last week to go first to help me get some good mojo for my lock of the week picks as I was 0-5. And, you know, I thought I was taking some low-hanging fruit there by picking Nashville over Vancouver. Nashville was the best team in the league at the time. Nashville was in free fall. They still are in free fall. Of course, Nashville lost on the road in Vancouver, so I am now 0-6. Kevin... You picked um, Tampa Bay over New Jersey. Yes, that that was my uh, my layup. Tampa Bay won, so you're on a three game win streak or three and three. You have a three game lead over me. Even, even baby. So, you know what? I'm gonna make you go first because I need that mojo still. I know I promised everybody that I would end life if Nashville lost to Vancouver. But I'm a gambler, baby. I got to keep this going. I want to see. I either want to go win every week from now on, or lose every game and see how bad it gets. I think <laughs> if you if you drop the ball again this week, I think next week's intro I might have to call you Big Daddy Mush. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for games of the week, I have both on Thursday. I have Toronto at Tampa Bay. I think that's going to be a good game. Uh, both at the top of the division, so that should be a battle. And another one, Hitchy kind of has the boys rolling ever since he took over. Um, Edmonton at Winnipeg, I think it's going to be a pretty good game too, also on Thursday night. For my lock of the week, I am going with Philadelphia at Calgary, not picking Philadelphia, going with Calgary. Um, Yeah, I, I think Calgary's been on a roll. They just won five in a row, just beat Nashville last night. I think that's who I'm going with, pal. And now I'm going to get the little finger mojo towards you. Ooh, come on, Benny. 
All right, so I'm going to go with my Game of the Week pick first. Uh, last week's Game of the Week pick for me was Colorado at Tampa Bay, kind of a measuring stick game for the Avs. And Tampa Bay ran them out of the building. Uh, I think the final was 7-1 uh, Tampa Bay. So that was a good game if you're a Lightning fan. Uh, so this week's Game of the Week, I'm going to stick with the Lightning. Uh, they're going on a road this next Sunday playing in Winnipeg. Uh, so that's my Game of the Week pick. My lock of the week, I was very tempted to go Nashville over New Jersey, but Nashville, you burned me this past week. I can't go with you. I don't know if this is as much of a slam dunk as it should be, but L.A., West Coast team, on a road, playing in Pittsburgh, who's playing a lot better recently, next Saturday, Pittsburgh lock of the week. History? You got anything over there? Oh, I got some history for you. Uh, so in 1989, the NHL announced that it was going to expand to 21 teams within the next 10 years. Uh, so San Jose joined the league in 91-92. Uh, the Lightning and Senators in 1992-93. The Ducks and Panthers in 93 as well. The Predators joined in 98. The Thrashers in Atlanta, who are now the Winnipeg Jets in 99. And then the Wild and Blue Jackets in 2000 to complete the 30-team league. And that was until Vegas joined the league last year. And Seattle will make it 32 in a few years from now. Uh, in addition to that, uh, in 1979, Wayne Gretzky played against Gordie Howe for the second of four times in the NHL careers. The Oilers beat the Hartford Whalers 3-0. Gretzky scored a goal. Howe went without a point. But at that time... Gordie Howe led Wayne Gretzky in career goals 797 to 11. And lastly, in 2017, so fairly recent, Henrik Lundqvist earned his 419th NHL win. The Rangers beat the Devils 5-2 at the Garden. Lundqvist passed Hockey Hall of Famer Tony Esposito uh, for the second most wins by a goalie with one franchise in NHL history. The only man he's trailed for the all-time mark is Marty Brodeur who got 688 of his record, 691 wins with the Devils. So Lundqvist has about three or four more years to go, hopefully to catch up to him and be the all-time winningest goalie in NHL history and also for one single franchise. Martin Brodort. Um, who you got for shout-outs this week? Yeah. <laughs> Fatso. <laughs> of course, Fatso didn't want to shake my hand. <laughs> God, what a piece of shit. Um, and to say that as a rival fan, and also because he is a piece of shit. Um, shout outs this week, uh, of course, as always, the first lady. Um, I'm also going to give a shout out. You know, I wanted this whole thing. I think last week is the episode I touched upon the whole car accident incident that I had with the other driver who was named asshole. I want to give a shout out to my insurance company for making me lay out $1,000 on my deductible, even though my insurance covers the deductible, but they'll pay me back. So if you ever need car insurance and you're looking to spend $1,000 during the holiday season, Metro Mile is a car insurance company for you. Who the fuck is Metro Mile? I have never it's even... A... <laughs> so it's a San Francisco startup. So basically... Is that like Metro only... PCS's cousin? Like, you know, they just took it? <laughs> uh, yeah, my uh, this car, my service on my car cuts in and out all the time. Um, no, so it's a San Francisco startup, which should have 
for the most part, they're good. It's just that I have to lay out the money. That's pissing me off. Um, but they put this device in your car and it tracks your mileage and you only get charged for the mileage you drive for like six cents a mile instead of paying like a flat rate every month, even if you don't use your car. And where you are, I mean, that's that's clutch for you. Exactly. I went from having to pay like 180 a month for Geico to now like $60 a month for insurance and it's the same coverage and everything. So, Well, that's awesome. That, that's a nice well, benefit. First, I'm going to stop giving a benefit to that because no free advertising. <laughs> yeah, the, the free advertising has gone. No, no one wanted <laughs> to jump on board. Out. Out, out, out. Um, as for me, do I got shout outs this week? Um, I, I want to give a shout out to Emma for sleeping until six today. I mean, the last couple of mornings before that, I mean, 430 is a good time to wake up for the day, right? And be angry at everybody else. So that sounds good. I wouldn't know anything about 430. Uh, let's see. You know, a big shout out to Cam. He, he's been a very good boy lately. Good listener. Uh, He's been fun, man. We, we've been shooting uh, pucks in the kitchen while playing, like, knee hockey with the sticks. And yeah. uh, I don't know if it's just, like, just because it's me and shit like that, but it's, like, I'm over there stick handling. I got him doing the poke check. He got a pretty good poke check, and I'm telling him, I'm like, stick on puck, stick on puck. So he just comes <laughs> blasting through. He's, stick on puck. And then, Play uh, the puck at the man. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then I got, him, uh, I got him cranking shots. I was in that, and then I'm like, hey. You, you got to crash the net. You got to get your rebound. So now, legit, I think before he's even done shooting, he's already running into me, crashing the net. So but, oh, he's Chris Kreider. Yeah, I, I, I might have a uh, at least a three million dollar a year guy here. So okay. at least take out take out the goalie for uh, deeper. You get into the playoffs, and that's how he brings value to your team. Hey, anyway, for paychecks. Anyway, for <laughs> paychecks. That's what it comes down to. Um, you got anything else, Billy? Uh, I'm all set. I think just a little preview for next week. Uh, we might do a holiday wish list for as a hockey fan for the NHL. So what we might want to have as a gift as an NHL fan for the rest of the season into next year. All right. I, I think another thing we should do too is we're almost at the halfway mark. I know a lot of the teams are at like 30 games in. Maybe we'll go with as to so far like free agent busts so far this year okay do some mid-season mvps and stuff like that yeah we could do that well ladies and gentlemen it, it seems as if we're wrapping up here uh as always thank you again for listening we appreciate it we're just here to just bring the electricity like th that's what we're doing every week we're bringing the electricity Benny got his lights on this week. We're happy. We're thankful. Th that's it, ladies and gents. Thank you so much. We will see you next week, 2, 5, and 10.